Thank you, Chris, Amy, and congregation. I'd like to encourage you, if you would, to take your copy of God's Word and open it again to John chapter 17. The book of John is quickly coming to its conclusion as the cross is very, very large on the horizon. Now in these last few moments on earth, Jesus is praying and we get to hear what he says. Direct your attention to John 17, verses 6 through 13. Our Lord prayed, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious Lord, we prayed this morning already seeking your wisdom. We ask you, Lord, to guide us, for, Lord, your word is truth and supplies what we need to live wisely in today's world. We heard from the scripture the invitation extended through Jesus that all of us who are weary and heavy laden should come unto him and he will give us rest. This morning, Lord, draw us close to you. Feed our weary souls on the truth of your word. For we know that it will sustain us. We know that you will provide what we need. So Father, this morning we come to you with our hearts open and our hands extended. Asking that you might give what we need for your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, it's uh, amazing. Sometimes in life you overhear things that... You never intended over here. Whether the person is speaking loudly or just in close proximity, you hear things. For example, an aunt overheard her 15-year-old niece say this to one of her friends. You think I can't live without you? Who do you think you are? My phone charger? A mother was at a park. She overheard her 7-year-old daughter say this to a new friend she just met on the playground. 
Hi, my name is Isabella. I'm good at gymnastics and fighting to the death. A man was heard to say to a child, We're not here to have fun. Ironically, he was standing in the middle of Disney World when he said that. As the hour of his death is very quickly approaching, Jesus prays. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that he withdrew from the disciples to be alone and praying. However, someone was close enough to hear. Because this intimate conversation that Jesus had with his father is recorded for us. So I believe that we are not only being asked to eavesdrop, it's perfectly intended for us to eavesdrop and to hear these words. This prayer that Jesus prayed has been recorded so that every follower of Jesus, every child of God, every believer can read it, grow from it, and glorify God. Because glory permeates this prayer. As Pastor Nathan showed last week, this prayer is saturated with the glory of God. Jesus wants us to know and experience and enjoy the glory of God. Now, as we move deeper into the prayer in this middle section that I've read this morning, there are four things that stand out. Four things that I want us to highlight. Four things that I want to be certain that we overhear this morning. First is this, we need to overhear that Jesus shows us who God is and what God is like. Verse 6, Jesus prays and he makes a statement, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Now to manifest means to reveal, to show, to make known. Jesus says clearly, I have done this. Which begs the question, how did Jesus reveal the name and the character of God? Well, he revealed it in his ministry that was behind him. And he reveals it in the cross and the resurrection that is ahead of him. Everything Jesus did was about revealing who God is. And notice he specifically says, to make the name of God known. The name represents the character of the person. Shows the actions of the person. That's why in the Old Testament there are the names of God that begin to take center stage. For example, uh, Yahweh Roy, the God who sees. Or Yahweh Jireh, the God who provides. It speaks about who God is and what He does. Well, Jesus reveals that. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature. He is the imprint of who God is walking on this earth. And what Jesus prays here and how Jesus lived was in fulfillment of Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 6, Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus, said this, or actually the Lord said through Isaiah, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. So God spoke through Isaiah. My people will know my name. What does Jesus say? I've shown your name to your people. The revelation of God in Jesus 
is greatly needed today because there are no shortage of beliefs about who God is. Some think of God and they only see Him as the authoritative God. To them, God is just some being out there who is angry at sin and enraged over, over life and every action that takes place on earth. There are those on the other extreme. They don't believe in the angry God. They believe in the God who overlooks all sin. The God who is like a heavenly grandfather who, who says his children can do no wrong. And that in the end we'll all be saved because, well, God really doesn't care about sin. There are those who believe in the critical God. They think God is just pointing a finger at the world and He's not engaged in activities. But while He's not going to intervene, He is still quick to judge and to be judgmental. And there are those who yet believe in the distant God. The God who is far removed and is ambiguous like the force in the movie Star Wars. That he has set the world spinning and then left it on its own. Jesus shows us who God is. He shows us that God is present and that he is compassionate. If you have ever wondered, does God really care about me? If you've ever wondered, does God really know me? Then listen to the Gospels when Jesus meets a woman at the well who is an outcast and he tells her everything that she has ever done. And he is not telling her in a critical or judgmental way. He is telling her in a way that says, I know you, I care about you, and I hurt with you. You ever wonder if God has time for you? And God is sustaining the universe. How does He have time for me? If you've ever wondered that, if you've ever wondered, does God have time for me? Read in the Gospels when Jesus, in one of His busiest days, when the crowds are pressing in upon Him, and a woman, an elderly woman, the outcast, who has been ill, who is on the edges of society, reaches out and touches His robe. And what does Jesus do? He looks at her. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He stopped and had time for her. Have you ever wondered if God will make things right? You ever wondered, where is God? When is He going to set the wrongs of this world to right? Then look at Jesus as He confronts the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in no uncertain terms. We are reminded here that to see Jesus is to see God. To hear Jesus is to hear God. And to know Jesus is to know God. And notice the scope of the revelation that Jesus has made. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. This is a theme. Yours they were, you gave them to me, that Jesus will return to time and time again in this prayer. It is the language of election. And it brings us to the second thing we need to overhear. And it is this. Every follower of Jesus belongs to God from beginning to end. We are His. It's been greatly debated what the words 
of election mean? But as I was studying this week, I think there was an even greater question that came to my mind. Rather than asking exactly what it means, I think the better question is, why does Jesus mention it? He's not telling it to God to inform God of something God didn't know. He's clearly praying this so that we who follow Jesus will hear it. He said it for us. And I think the reason why Jesus reminds the disciples that they were gods before, they are gods now, and they'll be gods afterward is because their lives were about to change dramatically. With the cross and the resurrection, they would see the power of God in ways they had never seen God's power before, but it would also throw open the doors of persecution. The disciples who are walking with Jesus are going to begin to suffer because of Jesus. They are going to be arrested, beaten, and even killed because of their commitment to Christ. Now in those moments, in those moments when you hear the door of the jail cell slam shut, and in those moments when your hands are bound, and in those moments when the whip of the jailer begins to hit your back, only because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, a very logical question is this, where are you, God? Why is following you like this? Have you abandoned me? And so Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he's speaking to us that when we begin to wonder and to even think God has abandoned us, he says, no. Child, you have been God's before you were born. You are God's now and you will be God's into eternity. We are his people. Book of Zechariah, the prophet says that the people of God are the apple of God's eye. We are his inheritance. So he is saying these words, fear not. I am with you, past, present, and future. And the words of giving also remind us of this. Not only do we belong to God, we are dependent upon God from beginning to end. Verse 7, Jesus says, Now they, the disciples, know that everything that you have given me is from you. In many ways, that seems very uh, repetitive. They know that everything you've given me is from you. Once again, Jesus is emphasizing that all he has, authority, power, disciples, come from God. And he is dependent upon him. The argument goes like this. If Jesus, the very Son of God, was dependent upon God for everything He has, how much more so are we? Writing to the church at Corinth, Paul asked this rhetorical question. What do you have that you did not receive? In other words, what do you have that has not been given to you by the grace of God? Jesus is saying everything he has was given to him by God. Everything we have, have been, has been given to us by God. Now Jesus expands on this in verse 8. 
He begins to help us get into focus a little bit more clearly exactly what it is God has given to him. For I have given them the words you gave me. And they've received them. They've come to know in truth that I came from you. And that you have, they have believed that you sent me. God gave Jesus words. Now understand, he's not saying just that God gave him the outline of what to say, to say the right word at the right time. There's no doubt that is true. Jesus is the very wisdom of God knowing what to say and when to say it. But it also carries with it an authority. The words of Jesus carried with him an authority like no person that has ever walked this earth has ever had before. I would remind you that Jesus was God in the flesh, if if you've missed that point already. Remember that our God has the creative power in his very words. When there was nothing, God spoke. Let there be, and there was. The words of God contain power. And there, are pow- there is power in the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, on one of those days that I mentioned earlier where there is a busyness, a centurion comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, my servant is paralyzed. Would you heal him? Jesus stands to get ready to go. And the centurion says, whoa, whoa, stop, Jesus. I I know what it is to be a person of authority. Because if I say a word, I've got sergeants and corporals that will carry it out. Jesus, if you just say the word, I know he'll be healed. Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And Jesus speaks. And what happens? The paralyzed servant is healed. In John chapter 18, just a a few minutes after Jesus prays this, the soldiers come to arrest him. And they say, where is Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus steps forward and he says three words, I am he. And you will read that these soldiers fell to the ground at the power of what Jesus was stating. There was power in the words of Jesus, life-giving, soul-changing power that, guess what, is within us through the power of the Holy Spirit and it will sustain us, equip us, and comfort us. The Word of God is still active and alive today and the Holy Spirit brings it to bear within us so that the power that brought Jesus forth from the grave is within us so that we need not fear nor be afraid we are his and he is supplying what we need and that is to his glory because of that because we are changed there's some things we need to overhear about what a disciple looks like that's the third thing we need to overhear you see in this prayer Jesus mentions some of the characteristics that will be true of his followers now these serve as kind of a guideline One of those moments where you can hold up the Word of God like a mirror and say, okay, this is what the the Scripture says a disciple should be like. Is this how I am like? First is this. A disciple will keep the Word of Jesus. Notice the description of the disciples at the end of verse 6. They have kept 
your word. They have obeyed it. That's what kept means. They've, they've obeyed your word. Now the interesting thing is, notice word there is singular. They've kept your word. The word there is logos. You move over to verse 8. Jesus says, for I have given them the words you gave me. The Greek word there is rhema. There's a difference. I think in verse 6 where he says, they have kept your word. John is going back to the very first chapter where Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And what he's teaching at this is that they have obeyed your word. It's not that they've just kept the teachings. See, that leads to, to legalism, just having this checklist. The focus, I believe, at the end of verse 6 when he says they've obeyed your word is the life of Jesus. The disciples are learning of what it means to give compassion when compassion is needed. Just as Jesus looked at the crowds and was moved with compassion. They're learning to be firm when firmness is needed. When Jesus turned over the tables in the temple. And they're learning to have the wisdom to know the difference. Now keep in mind when he says they've kept your word. It's not that the disciples were perfect. They struggled. Peter denied, Thomas doubted, the disciples disobeyed and argued, but through it all they held fast to a commitment that Jesus was the Messiah. When I pastored in Texas, it was in the early 90s at the height of the Promise Keepers movement, and I'd taken a group of men from the small church in Blum that I pastored, and it, was, it really made a difference in the lives of those, those men. One of them was a man by the name of Lloyd. Lloyd had quite a background, quite a background. He and his wife had gone through the ups and downs, but he had been radically saved. His wife came to tell me of a story that happened. They had had another argument, and believe me, their arguments could be arguments, let me put it like that. And she said, Mark, normally Lloyd would have stormed out and left and been gone for days. But she said in the middle of this, he stood up and he said, You know what, honey? I'm a promise keeper and I'm not leaving this house. We're going to work this out. To me, that's the picture of what Jesus is saying. You and I will have our struggles, we will have our ups and downs, we will stumble and fall, but through it all, let us have the commitment that says, I have committed my life to Christ, and I am not going to stop trying to serve Him. That's what He's saying. Because a disciple, and this is the second thing of a disciple, a disciple will know who Jesus is. Notice in verses 7 and 8, He comes back and He says, they have come to know in truth that I came from you. They believe that you sent me. You see, a disciple is anchored in this truth that Jesus is God. And if he is God in the flesh, where else are we to go? We're like Peter who says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of life. A 
core element of our faith must be the clear conviction that Jesus is the Son of God. Not just a great teacher, not just a great humanitarian, but God in the flesh. We may not understand all the words that Jesus says, but we do not doubt the source and the authority. Because of that, we will seek to glorify Him. Look to verse 10. He says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. To come back and say the purpose of our lives are to make Jesus loom large in the eyes of people. To grant glory to Him. That is the purpose that needs to drive us. And we are dependent upon Him to accomplish that. That's why we come to the final thing we need to overhear. To think that our lives are to glorify Him and that we are to be committed to Him. Sometimes that can be overwhelming. We wonder, Lord, how can I do that? Well, hear this. Or better yet, overhear this. Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us. Look to verse 9. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, it's not that Jesus does not love the world, John 3, 16, or, or that Jesus is condemning the world. He didn't come to condemn the world, but he's saying at this moment, at this time, the disciples need his prayer, his focus. Verse 11, he says, I'm no longer in the world. That's why he needs them to pray. That's why we need him to be interceding for us. Then he says, Holy Father. It's a phrase referring to God only used here in John. And it sets the stage for what Jesus will pray later in verse 17 when he says, Sanctify them in your truth. We'll dive into more to that next week. But here in verse 11, he says, keep them in your name. He's saying, Lord, keep them loyal to you. Keep the disciples close to you so that they will grow and mature. Don't let them wander off, Lord. Keep them in your character. Keep them in your power. Keep them in your actions. Because Jesus says, when I was with them, verse 12, I kept them in your name. In other words, Jesus was here physically so that when the disciples needed correction, he would correct them. When they needed encouragement, He would encourage them. And He's saying, Lord, I'm going away, so you keep them near you. Now He anticipates an objection that some may raise. Jesus says, I kept them in your name, all those you've given me, I guarded them. None of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. It's a reference to Judas. Son of destruction, or son of perdition, depending on your translation, is a reference to character. When you see the phrase son of in the scripture, it's referring to the character of someone. When he says son of destruction, it's saying, in my understanding, there was never any heart change, no character change in Judas. Judas was not a true follower of Christ. That's why he says, and this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
So he's saying those that are his, he will keep. In this instance, Judas was not his. But notice verse 13. But now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they, that's the disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The end result is joy. Of knowing that God will not let us go. God keeps His Word. How does God keep us near Him? Through the Holy Spirit. Who comforts and convicts. He keeps us by His Word. Some of the most debated passages in the New Testament are found in Hebrews. And they are warning passages. Those passages are ways that God keeps us near Him. Because we say, you know what? If I reject Christ, there's no other way of salvation. So I'm not going to reject Christ. He keeps us by the Spirit, by His Word, and by His people. So the question I have for you is this. Are you fighting against God in this? In other words, as God tries to keep you near to Him, are you fighting and struggling to keep doing your own thing? Understand that in doing so, you're robbing yourself of joy. Jesus says, I've spoken these things, the prayer that he's prayed and will pray, so that the people will have joy. One of the joys that I have in life now is that every now and then, I get to put my grandson, Kimball, to sleep. If he's over at the house in the afternoon, and he's, he's active now, oh, is he active. He reaches that stage where you know he's tired. He's not just rubbing his eyes. He will just pull things out, not to look at him, but just pull things out to throw them on the ground. And that's a sign he's tired. It never fails that if I have that chance and I hold him, he will fight against me, arch his back, and cry some until eventually he gives in. He closes his eyes and he stops fighting. And he and I both enjoy peace. He sleeps. And I wonder if that's not a picture of us with God. He's trying to pull us into himself and we are arching our backs saying, God, I know what I'm doing, God. I know what I'm doing. This will give me joy. And God is saying, if you would just close your eyes and trust me, you'll know peace and joy. You never have. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me now. Are you hearing these things Jesus is praying? He wants you to overhear them. That's why they're here. Are you fighting against Him? This time as we sing, let this be that moment where you relinquish that battle because it is foolish to fight against God. Oh, Lord, search our hearts. Thank you. Thank you for letting us overhear these things. We need to be reminded of them. We need to be taught them. So, Lord, let your truth take deep root in our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, amen.